0: Welcome to Retro Fanfic Retrospective, the podcast where we dredge up old fanfiction and expose it to the cold, harsh light of 2019. My name is Amato, and with me are... Tori. And in the absence of Dom... Joel. Yes. We have a extra special guest on tonight, which is my father, Joel. <laughs> I chose the fanfic tonight just to have something to draw you on that you seemed willing to talk about.
1: Right. Probably one of the few things that you talk <laughs> about that I could talk about. Were we'll you Star Wars? Yeah, I guess I've seen all the Star Wars movies. Star Trek? Um, I'm not as much of a Trekkie. I think I I, I haven't seen all of the Star Trek series. Uh,
0: that's. I think you've probably seen more than most of us.
2: Um, really? No, I think I've seen... All of them except I'm not sure if I've seen all of Deep Space Nine. I think okay. I've seen most of it. I
1: think I've seen all of Deep Space Nine, but what's the series before the current one?
2: Enterprise. Is it Enterprise? Was it?
1: Yeah, Wait. I watched one of those, and I. Wait. Just, or Voyager.
2: No, Voyager. I've seen. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Wait. It, I, is there a current Star Trek? Yeah, series? the current
1: one is uh, Discovery.
2: Oh, right. And we are yeah, I forgot about we that. We are hooked
1: on Discovery, but you have to subscribe to CBS. Oh, uh, yeah. They're mm. premium service, so you have to be really dedicated.
2: I just wasn't as big a fan of Enterprise, so I was just kind of, I think, maybe not as in tune with I, it. It didn't draw me in at all. Well, yeah.
0: the arbitrary premise of this podcast is that we look at old fanfic, and hopefully good old fanfic, which puts anything even remotely new out of bounds. The story tonight is actually from 2005, and that's like the hard upper limit of my arbitrary cutoff date for something being kind of old.
1: That doesn't seem that old to me, but that <laughs> might have no. something to do with my age.
2: doesn't seem that old to me either, especially considering that we're doing an Asimov fanfiction. Right. right. Does, that seems like quite a ways after the books were originally written.
1: Yeah. But the thing about Asimov is... Uh, There are other science fiction writers, you know, who have written in his universe. That's true. With with permission, right? There was even,
0: like, when I was trying to find some Asimov fanfic, which was not super easy to find something that seemed actually good, um, there's a book called Foundation's Friends. Did you ever read it? No. It's other authors as some sort of tribute to Asimov. I've heard about it. Writing stories in the Foundation universe. Right. But, But I... Don't I wasn't sure I could actually qualify it as fan fiction because it was written with the complete knowledge and approval of Asimov. It's not
1: fan fiction, <laughs> right? It's, I don't know. Uh, And then there are the three additional foundation books by Greg Baring, Gregory Benford, and David Brin. That I definitely dead. have yeah. not read them. Right, in the uh, mid-90s.
2: I Yeah, I, I think you kind of enter a slippery slope if you're going to go with anybody who ever wrote in someone else's universe with their permission as fan fiction. Like, no, you know, it's like, not. Yeah. Wasn't it, who continued the Wheel of Time series after Robert Jordan passed? Wasn't that Brandon Sanderson? Oh, if, if it was, that kind um, of makes me interested in it. Yeah, I don't remember if it was Brandon Sanderson or another author like him. but
1: Well, I'm least, sure these writers anyway. were all big fans of Asimov, but, sure. but they're also professional
2: writers. They do writing. it with permission of the estate and the publisher. Exactly. Right. And it's for money. Right. It, it's a career move. Yes. Yeah, for sure. So that's well, different because fan fiction is a labor of love because you don't make money when you're writing fan fiction. Right. Well, yes and no.
0: Right? Coming, coming up, we've got you know, we've got Tropical Storm, which was the first Xena alternate universe uh, fanfic novel that was published by a publishing house mm-hmm. for you know for profit, and it's just that they, you know, they file the serial numbers off in some of these cases, and then you've got all kinds of classics like. Uh, or you know, works based on classic literature, like the Wind Done Gone, which is just gone with the wind fan fiction, but like with without really trying to push that as I don't know on the cover, you know mm-hmm. um, so people people make money off of fan fiction. It's just not usually how it works.
1: Well, I've got to admit that um I've avoided fan fiction for one reason after hearing the opinion of a very famous author who was not enamored at all of the fan fiction. Beverly Cleary? Beverly (laughs) Cleary, that's right. Uh, Yeah, tell that story. (laughs) Yeah, well, I went to, uh, I I was a teacher. English is a second language teacher. But um, one time Beverly Cleary came to town, to Portland, um, for a meeting of the librarians. And the librarian at the school I was working at invited Emily and me because I heard that Beverly Cleary was going to be speaking there. And I got very excited because I'd never met her. And uh, during her talk, uh, oh, actually, it was during the Q&A, one of the teachers asked her opinion because uh, it was a very popular thing for kids to be writing in the Ramona universe. (laughs) Uh, Ramona Quimby and uh, Henry Huggins, right? And so these teachers would have their kids write stories about Ramona and uh, her sister, what's his name, The Beezus. Beezus, of course, <laughs> and Henry, and send them to, um, to Beverly Clary. And Beverly Clary's opinion was, why can't they write about something other than my characters? My characters are my characters. I do not want them writing about my characters. They can come up with their own characters.
2: I have heard this before, and I always felt like that, it it was such a strange thing for a writer to say to me because it's like all these writing exercises where you're restricted to write about a character who's this person, right? Right about, like, there are all these exercises where you're, like, write in this particular place and time, uh, like, pick a setting and do that. Like, there's all these exercises where it's restrictive that way. You'd feel like it would be a great writing exercise to, like, use someone else's character, but And we're also talking about elementary schoolers here. Yes, we're talking about kids. Like, this is an exercise. It's not, they're not publishing these works. So and I, I think
1: it would be okay if the teachers would not have the kids mail them into the author. We did not <laughs> Yeah, maybe them. that
2: was yeah, uh, how it's... she felt about it I don't know it just it seems like such a harsh thing to come from like a, a writer who writes for adolescents. <laughs> just don't know what that perspective is
0: but I think Anne Rice has a similar attitude but then she goes and writes a novel about young Jesus straight up right. Bible fanfic oh yeah and yeah she probably would not appreciate me saying
2: that
1: well maybe she'd come up with her own Bible
2: <laughs> her own Jesus <laughs> that, that may her have been the case in the vampire stories
1: here. <laughs>
0: I, I never read them. Anyway, the author of this fanfic definitely did not make a profit off of it, but it was part of a sort of exchange of goods and services. This story, uh, Sifi by Dorinda, was part of the 2005 Yuletide event. And we haven't run across that yet in the the podcast, but Tide is this annual thing, and it's like a gift exchange for unusual fandoms where no one's writing about them. Like, for example, uh, Isaac Asimov, Science Fiction, which does not get a lot of fanfic. And so people will request, like, I really want to see a story, you know, about, like, um, I don't know, the mule. Mm. That's what everyone's demanding. No, that's what no one's demanding, but someone would request it as part of Tide, And then, like, so they get paired up with someone who's like, oh yeah, I'll write a foundation story about the mule. And, like, they write a story of at least 1,000 words minimum for the Yuletide event, for the person requesting that. And so someone must have requested some Elijah Bailey, Daniel Oliva story for Tide 2005, because that's what this author, Dorinda,
2: delivered. And delivered quite well, I have to say. Did either well, of you... Well, yeah, I was impressed with the quality of the writing. Right.
0: Well, the goal in this... Podcast is always to choose good writing. I'm not looking to pick on bad writing. Though sometimes I make mistakes.
2: It you know, and I I wouldn't always say necessarily that Yes, Amato, sometimes you make mistakes. You're only human. I'm sorry. Well also I I I avoid reading the fanfic for real until we actually assign it. But it's not just that, it's that some of the fanfics we read are very uh, they're very well written as well. Or they're you know, the story is compelling, but I wouldn't say that like I would say that this writing kind of goes above and beyond like I feel like it kind of fits in Asimov's style and it flows so like I I think this person could write professionally very easily like Um, I don't know I had no qualms like there was nothing where I was like oh that stood out as clunky or that was telling and not showing. It was all very fluid.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if this person is a professional writer. And, you know, back in the 1980s, there were a number of uh, paperback books that were in Asimov's universe, mm-hmm. robot stories, that were totally separate from Asimov's um, stories themselves. Were there? Yeah, there were, yeah.
0: Well, w- Sorry, before we dive into the fanfic itself, that's a good transition. Can you tell us about your... Isaac Asimov background? I only read
1: one of those really cheap stories. (laughs) You know, I mean, you know, like paperback Mm kind of writer kind of stuff. They must have been paid by the word. Um, But um, I think that I started reading the Foundation series because I was living with my older brother, Bob, Mm -hmm. and he had the first three books of the Foundation trilogy at that time. Um, and I just started reading them and I got hooked at the time. And then after I was done with the foundation books, at least at that point, there were later to be a lot more foundation books. Um, I started reading the robot series. So I think I've read all of them. And then there are three books that are in between, um, that are separate books that are not, um, tied in terms of plot development to the the robot or the Foundation books. Wait, are they
0: Elijah Bailey, you're saying? No, now,
1: no, Elijah not? Bailey is not in them. Um, so oh, yeah, does. so then I, I read the Galactic Empire series, uh, The Stars Like Dust, The Currents of Space, and Pebble in the Sky, um, which were set in Asimov's universe, but totally independent stories with independent characters. Hmm. And then later, he wrote more robot books and more um, stories that were part of the um, foundation, foundation series. Oh, okay. And he tied them together. Yeah. Because in the Foundation books, there are no robots. It's not, I'm not the biggest fan of so that. So there robots... <laughs> I, I wasn't the biggest fan either. Mm-hmm. Actually, I was a little bit disappointed that he went there. Yeah. And the reason, to some extent... One thing that drew me into uh, the foundation books was the idea of Mm psychohistory, because at the time, I was something of a Marxist, okay, so so Marxism, part of Marxism is historical materialism, okay, and historical materialism really has this view of history that History is moving in a particular direction, you know, from feudalism to capitalism to socialism to communism, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's where you're going to end up. And that can be predicted, right? So I'm sure that Asimov, given his background, especially, he was born in the Soviet Union and immigrated at a young age. I'm sure he was exposed to ideas of Marxism. I think psychohistory has uh, quite a bit of influence from um, for Marxism, um, but later on, you realize that I guess his character is Harry Seldon, right? Who develops yes. who develops the science of psychohistory. Um, that it wasn't a science at all, because I don't know if I'm giving away something to, I, that I on, shouldn't be on talking this about. Now.
0: we. We kind of assume that anyone who's bothering to listen to this is, okay. is not worried about it.
1: Okay, well, if, you, <laughs> if you're familiar with it, um, with the later books, you know that uh, there was a robot behind all of this. Yeah. And, and that wasn't part of the original Foundation series. Isn't there a whole
0: conspiracy of robots that, he, like, that he's behind that are kind of making sure things move in certain directions? Uh, that's correct. And Tori you read Asimov stuff too, right?
2: Yeah. Um, so when I was pretty young, maybe 12 was when I had a big tome of a lot of the robot stories in, you know, including iRobot and all of that. And I, I, I got pretty into those. I honestly, my memories of those are not very as clear. Um, I've seen many film and, you know, television adaptations of, Certain various robot stories of Asimov's, but my favorite one of my favorite all time books ever is The Gods Themselves. I
0: that's interesting. Like, I, I read a bunch of Asimov,
2: and so I, the we, gods
1: go ahead.
0: Yeah, we had a bunch of paperbacks floating around. I don't know if they were from you, Dad, or from Julia, or whatever. They were but, mine. Okay, so I, I read the foundation books, I read the robot books, okay, and yeah. I read the gods themselves. And yeah. even I read it pretty young, but I remember very distinctly. You know, there's three parts in that story. Yes. And the first one That's I was like, crazy. this is pretty good. The second one I I thought was great. And the third part I remember being actively disappointed oh, in, even at that point. The ending that makes
2: point. no sense, is super disappointing, it and has nothing to do with... And, and so, yeah, you're right, like, the ending of that book is a wash.
1: Remind me of the, hit, the gods themselves? That's it's, not the time travel book.
0: Is no, it? no. It's, it's most memorable because it's, it's Asimov writing aliens, oh, which, is right. which is unusual. And, yes. and he goes crazy. all it's in so on the alien. Right. <laughs> right. Like, so the entire second part of that book is from an alien perspective in an alien society.
2: I remember and you well. kind of
0: have to grapple with yes. figuring out even how their society works. Yeah. Right? yeah. Because they're not going to lay it out to you from a human perspective.
2: Um, the, the whole concept is there's, there, there's some sort of giant electron pump that humans are using to gain power for the universe, which is essentially taking matter from another universe. They're creating matter and energy out of, quote-unquote, nothing. They realize it's coming from another universe. And yeah, like you said, Amato, the second part is the ramifications of that on another universe. And I think what always struck me about I read that when I was maybe 21 or 22. The way he depicts the aliens is so alien. Like, you just struggle to understand what's happening, and yet it's all so clear in a certain sense. Like, there's impressions of them being shadowy or um, having, like, triangular shapes and then photosynthesizing at times. Like, just so many strange... I It always... In my brain, I always see, like, black and white images of, like, a stony beach and strange black triangles. And it was evocative and yet totally weirdly not... Comprehensible.
1: And the way they develop also is Mm -hmm. Mm. strange. The main character is one animal to another, right? Yeah, they change. My recollection is the
2: main
0: character is one of the three. Three, yes. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, what do you call it? Like child forms that are going to merge into a single individual. That's right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's been a long time since I read it, but I do remember it. Well, For me, I read that book more than once, and I read the robot books more than once, and I don't think, I I think I read Foundation just once, and when I say the robot books, I actually mean I, Robot, The Caves of Steel, and The Naked Sun, and I remember liking them specifically, and probably largely because the character work was more interesting than it usually is in Asimov. Like, Elijah Bailey has more distinct things going on with him than I feel like a lot of Asimov protagonists tend to.
2: Yeah, actually, Amato, you're reminding me that I started reading Foundations also when I was like 12, and I couldn't get into it. But it was the robot stories were more compelling, I think, because of the the character. I think you're right about that. Now, it's unfortunate
0: that the two that I read more than once were the first two, because Robots of Dawn, the third Elijah Bailey robot mystery, this fanfic that we read goes right out of it more than i was expecting i knew it was post robots of dawn but i didn't realize it was like the entire situation and political situation is like after the last page of robots of dawn that's right immediately following up Mm -hmm. um and dad you said you you at least read a summary of that coming into this right
1: right well i read the book itself but he didn't write it until what the 1980s? Oh, really? He it's, went for years. That late. Yeah, there were yeah, two yeah, books. It wasn't ring. originally a trilogy. hmm uh, so he was writing other things. Yeah, because yeah.
2: he's he wrote for a very long time. I just think about like, he lived into his what his 90s or something. Yeah, was he still writing in his 90s? Ni- yes. feel so like he, he was, was writing was, on his deathbed. He bed. was extremely
1: yeah. prolific too. He wrote about I mean, yes. everything. He was a biblical scholar. Wrote about history, about science. He lots was a really, of
0: popular science stuff
1: yeah i don't know how much he must have had people working for him i don't see how he could produce that many pages doing research and mm-hmm. writing at the same time i don't know but yeah he was um really a very impressive character <laughs>
2: yeah that's that's interesting i you know i i've always liked his stuff but never been as into him as a lot of other authors i it's the first time it's occurred to me that he really did write for, like, 40 or 50 years. like I think longer. He insane. pounded out for
0: that whole career, too. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's like longer
0: you, that you write, longer. He just never stopped. It's like you get statistics on Osamu Tezuka, yeah. and it's like, oh, during his professional career, he drew 15 pages of comics every day for his entire, like, some crazy number so, yeah. of, like, ridiculous output. It's kind of that equivalent in terms of science and science fiction writing.
1: Yeah. And it was interesting that he was so into the Bible. I think he wrote a book called Asimov's, Asimov's to to Guide to the Bible. I've always kind of right. wanted to read it, but I've never gotten around to it. He was a stone atheist. Mm-hmm. So but I guess he was interested at least in the literary aspect of the Bible.
2: Let's let's try to jump into the story. Yeah, let's jump into the story. <laughs> so I think certainly. that's wise. <laughs> we could have a. I feel like I have a lot to say about Asimov, but I feel like we should definitely focus on our our purpose and our quest.
0: So this story Sefi, is named after a piece of dialogue from The Caves of Steel that I did not remember but that the author kindly quotes for us at this at the top of the story um where the human form you know exact completely human looking android Dan Daniel how do we actually say this
2: Dan-y-le? I've never heard it pronounced but yeah. I think it's Daniel we Daniel come... Well um I listened to the uh, podcast um, oh, or, the, or the the audiobook version oh. that they released actually somebody read this story out and they read it quite quite well I liked their voice was very good for the robot voices it was quite even um, and they said Daniil. Daniil. Daniil Daniil okay that sounds fine so that's I don't know you know I don't know who read it but um, I appreciated that they had it because I listened to a lot of these stories in my car, as I've mentioned before, and it was way better to hear it from a human voice than a robot voice. Though it's ironic because it's (laughs) about robots, but anyway. Right.
0: (laughs) Apparently that was produced by Luzula of Luzula Podfic. um, A podfic being a fanfic read out as a podcast.
2: Great concept, and the reader was very good. It's the first time we've got
0: to enjoy one. So anyway, Sifi is the idea of a culture that combines the best of... Carbon and iron-based life. Carbon being human and iron being robot. And um did either of you read the article that I forwarded along with the initial fanfic link?
2: I
1: did.
0: Tori,
2: did you get to look at that? No, I I guess I missed that. Fair enough. It's, it's, uh, my bad. I it's someone it. sort of
0: walking through the relationship development between Elijah Bailey and Daniel Daniil um Oliva. And basically there's a strong argument to be made that where this fanfic is going to end up going is a perfect... is a, a logical continuation of the themes that were b- being brought up and developed in Robots of Dawn. Hmm. Um... Like, there's a lot of concern over the idea of, rela- like, romantic relationship between robots and humans. Daniel's twin brother is, like, involved in one before he is murdered.
1: With Claudia.
2: Yeah, yes. with Claudia. Oh, yeah. did, did they mention that in this fanfic? Yeah, it comes up. Yeah. Uh, it does come I've, up, in, in yes. Early on, yes.
0: Elijah kind of has, is a little bit traumatized by, like, having looked at the, you know,
2: dead, deactivated oh, yes, body of someone yes. who looks just like his friend. He has a nightmare, I believe, yeah. or a, a vision of sorts about it.
1: It's, it's an open question about whether... Killing a robot or forcing a robot to destruct, self-destruct, which I think is what actually happened. Mm-hmm. I think that's how the the robot was was killed. Um, and that happens in various Asimov stories because of the, um, the the three laws of robotics, especially the first law. So I think
0: all you have to do is force into a situation where it has to destroy itself in order to protect a human. right? Where it has
1: to make, in fact, some kind of moral decision, oh, that right? Too, and right. it just can't deal with it.
0: But yeah, there's a there's a reoccurring thing of, like, robots kind of breaking down in that context. That's right. And that's what this fanfic jumps right into. Because, like, in order to go on the spacer spaceship, Elijah is needing to be disinfected completely. And it's a robot telling him to do it, you know, very directly. And, you know, part of Elijah's character pretty consistently is that he's kind of an insecure jerk about this sort of thing. Like, you know, Earth Earth people have this deeply ingrained superiority to robots, so do the spacers. But, you know, and, like, just being told what to do by a robot kind of sets him on edge, and also he's had a rough week.
2: Yeah. At first, that's how it seems, that it's being told what to do by a robot. And it's really funny, because it seems like he's also trying to analyze his own inherent prejudice at times through it. I think that's fair. But then he kind of reveals that it's a lot more than that. It's a lot of his, like, insecurity about the spacers being greater than him. Oh, that's true. And also...
1: It doesn't make any sense that he would have to take his clothes off and get disinfected because he's not coming from Earth. He's going to Earth.
2: That's right. And he points that out. Yeah, Yeah. he
1: points it out, and there really is no logic to it except for the prejudices of the spacers.
2: Right. Hmm. So he's just basically upset about that. And we kind of get a little flavor from him later on that people were disappointed. when they saw him in person after he became famous that he was not as attractive Mm -hmm. or you know there's this thing where earth people are gross and full of germs so he's very sensitive uh, throughout this whole fanfic about that
0: yeah well in the caves of steel the idea of being like inferior in capability to a robot is kind of a big thing and then of course right there's the spacer issue as well and there's all that sort of uh, I mean I guess that's coming from a similar place because Daniel is a spacer robot of ridiculously high quality also Mm -hmm. But anyway, Elijah's reacting to this sort of by testing how how much the robot's going to push it if he starts telling the robot, no, I'm not going to do that. And by the end, he's starting to muse, like, maybe it's so ingrained into this robot's programming that it is for everyone's health that I be disinfected. Maybe it is just going to, like, pick me up and put me through the process without technically hurting me.
1: But uh, he also wonders about his uh, whether the robot is... Concerned at all about his psychological health.
2: Yeah, right, right. that was the interesting part to me. Is he had like a, a quick thing where he was like, maybe, just maybe, if it thinks that this is enough actual harm to me, I yeah, will stop it from doing what it's doing. Yeah, but then he comes
1: to the conclusion that the robot probably was not programmed that way.
2: Right. It's
0: You're... it's a weird thing in the robot books where. It's taken as a given that every robot must be programmed with the three laws. That's just how the posit- positronic brain works. Right. But then there's all this sort of weird wiggle room where, like, you can you can emphasize certain things as being right. more or less important. In one of the in one of the stories in I Robot, remember, there's that robot that has an unusually strong third law to preserve itself because it needs to kind of be off on its own and it's such val- a valuable piece of
1: equipment, mm-hmm.
0: and ends up being forced in a. I don't know some logic trap because of it, and so I don't know. And then, is of course, part of the premise, I guess.
1: Daniel. Daniel. D- Daniel. Daniel. Daniel is, right. Yeah. Daniel comes up know. later with this zeroth law that yeah. has to do with protecting humanity, mm-hmm. and where did that come from? It well, wasn't programmed.
0: This this fanfic actually does a really good job of bridging that, <laughs> because the, when you say later, you're saying like in the far future of in this the future, thought, yeah. You know,
1: yeah. like. Tens of thousands of years later. He
0: intuits the existence of a zero flaw and kind of makes it so that that must exist in his programming just by logic. Yeah, And and in this fanfic, he's going to get to kind of do some less comprehensive pushing of like himself deciding what needs to be done. Um, But speaking of Daniil, the disinfecting situation doesn't get to reach ahead because Daniil shows up and... um, and... He intervenes. He intervenes, yeah. yeah. And uh, be- Elijah's like, okay, fine, I'll, I'll get disinfected. We're going on the ship. And Daniel needs to be disinfected as well, the justification being that he's been in close association with an Earth person. It, it does kind of make sense that he would, that they would want to disinfect again. Because isn't there, like, a lot of microfauna in your... Micro, microflora in, like, your gut and such? Yeah, come, that come out? Coughing a little but bit. But they
1: didn't disinfect his gut. No. Which actually mm-hmm. kind of makes. Well, that would makes him more things. of a suspect later on. I guess, it, right? yeah, yeah, that's true. Because he's that's, yeah. He's accused of spreading disease.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That was um, well. We'll get to that, but okay. that was an interesting part. Um, I'm trying to remember. How does Daniel diffuse the situation? Is it just because he shows up that Elijah's like, oh, all right. I, like, I I think
1: so. Yeah, it's mostly Yeah, it yeah like he just Elijah just down. stops
2: thinking about it, and it's like okay, st- like stops obsessing.
0: Well, yeah. uh, it also makes him feel better um, that Daniil also needs to be disinfected, right? Yes, like he's not the only one being discriminated um, against here.
2: And also, then he gets to see Daniil take all his clothes off, which right. seems to be distracting to him.
0: Now, Dorinda quotes in that email that they sent back to me a couple of of episodes in the text of um, the Robots of Dawn. There's more physical sort of interaction between them than I would have remembered. Uh, When Elijah's examining the corpse of uh, Daniel's twin, he quote handles and manipulates his body thinking about how it feels, noticing things like the buttocks were perfectly formed and there was even an anus. Dorinda says it's a tactile, unusual little scene. Later on, Um, when they see each other after a break, Elijah flings his arms around Daniil and clung to Daniil in a gush of relief and affection. I think what that article that we read about this and what Dorinda's text convinces me of is that it would... It's not a stretch, or, like, it's not out of line with the themes that were being developed for it to be sexual attraction. I, I don't think that's what Asimov was, like, going for, but, you know that this is fan fiction. It doesn't need to be.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm in the same boat in the sense of like what I, and and, you know, just to spoil the fan fiction right now, they, they do end up having a, you know, a sexual relationship or some sort of sexual encounters at the end of this, Daniel and Elijah. Um, But what is interesting about this in this fanfic to me and from Asimov's writing uh, is that it doesn't seem like it's so much like, the sexual part of it that matters so much as the intimacy between the robot and the human. Because this is always something that bothered me about Asimov's writing early on when I started to read it It is like the subservience of robots to humans, you know, the the question of their humanity despite their like clear ability to feel that is demonstrated in the text. And I'm sure if I read more of his later works, it would be more explored. Um, This kind of very seamlessly like deconstructs Where, like, Bailey's obviously got some robot prejudice, Mm -hmm. but it's, like, he's able to overcome that in this physical encounter that's very basically human. It's, like, that doesn't have to be sex, but it's a basically human, like, instinctual biological thing that you wouldn't think a robot would do, right? And And that's why I think it's interesting. and not very relevant that it's, oh, did they or didn't they kind and, of thing. Well, it
0: doesn't have to be sex, but I'm what I'm just trying to emphasize is that, like, us having not read Robots of Dawn, or not for a super long time, that I'm passing along that that book waded right into the notion of physical oh, yeah. intimacy and sex with robots that I, I was quoting during the oh, too. Oh, totally. So, like, thematically, it, it connects.
1: Well, a central component of the plot of Robots of Dawn is a relationship between Gladia and a robot, Gender Pinal, right. Who, right. Who, 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 who is the one who was murdered. Right, and who is right. the exact same model. And as she actually, it's Danil. exactly the same model. Right. Right. right.
2: So, oh, right. They bring that up in this fanfiction. Right.
1: So Daniil's twin has a sexual relationship. In fact, she even considers the robot to be her husband. Mm-hmm. That's how intimate the two of them are. Um, so we know that robots at least, are capable of having a, a sexual relationship. And at the human. very
0: least, that Daniel specifically is. At,
1: of course, it's <laughs> heterosexual as opposed to homosexual. Well,
0: how would that matter to a robot?
1: It, well, probably it wouldn't at all. <laughs>
2: exactly. But
1: it did matter to uh, to the author, perhaps. Probably. Because it took him all of these years to actually get to that point, I think, but in the 1980s when this was written, and... Um, to to bring up the subject of in. robot sex, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But uh, and even though homosexuality was much more open in the nineteen eighties than say it was in the nineteen forties uh-huh. or the nineteen thirties when he started writing these books, um, it still probably was a bit, at least in his mind, um, taboo to um, to go where the fan fiction story goes.
2: Isn't yeah. that funny though? Because how is it? a hetero or homosexual relationship if it's not a human being like I mean but then again you're coming up against the qu- the question of like what makes a human and if there's a physical possibility it's just well oh, it's a head scratcher the thing is
1: because the two of them are human form robots mm-hmm. right. right there's all these and, well that's all do. that and matters they, they right? are male right. robots quote unquote yeah quote unquote yeah that's always well, they, they look like males and right. anatomically they are well. <laughs> So. Yeah,
2: that's that's hilarious too, you know? <laughs> Well it is, yes. You're right. Yeah. When we come up against that. <laughs> like
0: diving back into the fan <laughs> thing. Anyway. we'll talk about this. That's true. Yeah. No, I I'm not saying that was a bad discussion, just that to continue with what happens in the text okay. they're yeah, they're sort of sequestered in a room for the duration of this uh, space flight because the spacership that's what you do. No one else has any kind of germ uh, resistance to earth germs built up. And so they just kind of have to stay in this own little room, and for the most part, they seem to enjoy it. It's a chance to like not be working or anything, right? Um, which is very unusual. And there's, I don't know, there's some talk about spacer food that you know, Elijah Bailey's used to eating like soil and green or whatever they eat in the mega cities of, of Earth. Yeah,
2: nice little touches where they describe the food. I've always enjoyed that in science fiction or fantasy texts where you just get a little tiny piece of world building, which is, what is the food like?
0: At one point, Elijah Bailey is very pleased about getting a hard-boiled egg, and he's like, I wonder if I can
2: parlay my position into occasionally getting a hard-boiled egg back on Earth. He loves eggs. Yeah, that's something that comes up. He just loves them.
1: And then they spend some quality time together watching book films. Right, Mm -hmm. book films.
2: Which I've, I've, I've...
1: Even I've always wondered about exactly what a book film was. I used to um, to see it as perhaps something like microfilm
2: (laughs) books that you put in a reader. Yeah, makes sense. My um, impression is that it's a book you open, and then there's like a uh, a video that plays, uh, some sort of hologram. That's what I've always thought. And then you turn the page, and there's another hologram. Because if you think about it, when the idea of a a book film like yeah, the technology is very different now.
0: I don't remember from the original source, but in this fanfic, it's got to be a video in it's some sense. A, it is. Eli- it's a video. Because Elijah's talking it about is. how he, like, the actor who plays him in the dramatization of the events of the Caves of Steel. Yeah. Like you were saying, Tori is like oh, yeah. a lot better looking than him and stuff.
2: Oh, yes, that's right. <laughs> he does not mention that about the book film, which could just be a film. Why is it a book? But. And there's also a incident that is just
0: building up clues for the future mystery, where a robot comes and delivers food to them, but then needs to be... I don't know if I even want to relate the whole like body of the, the actual mystery at play here.
1: You don't have to relate um, the entire plot. We don't have yeah. to do the blow-by-blow. But, blow. but I think it is important to, to go over it, because I think um, we might want to talk about the sex scene in the context of the story. I mean, how important was that scene to the development of the plot. It seems to me you could practically take it out and the rest of the story <laughs> would stand by itself. It seems to me it's you could really practically take out
0: the mystery and the relationship stuff would stand by itself. Like the, I, I almost felt like the mystery was there as kind of just a nod to the origins of this as a murder mystery series. And uh, like you didn't even need that.
2: So as far as the plot goes, um, yeah, we have an introduction to a mystery. Then we have a lone time mm-hmm. with Daniil and Bailey. And then we have a, a kind of, after they do have sex, a return to the plot that ties things up very quickly and rapidly at the end. Yes. So it is interesting. The way the story is structured, you kind of get a lead-in that seems like you're getting multiple things. You're getting Daniil and Bailey sort of might have a thing, but also what seems bigger is this mystery that keeps going, and then all of a sudden it kind of, mystery gone, and then it comes back at the end. So there was a, a there was a weird thing with the plot. Um, I will say that.
0: I, I understand what you're saying, Dad, about the sex scene being unnecessary in that context. I just feel like there were kind of two parallel tracks going on here, and they were I, both doing their own things. I think that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I,
1: I just think that maybe the the mystery was an excuse to write the sex scene.
0: I think that's probably true. Yeah. So that, that that's why I'm saying I feel like you can take that one out. Like, like um, they needed an event that would that would put some sort of pressure on the relationship because it's not going to happen just with daniel and elijah sitting in a room and so there needed to be some kind of plot that would um that would put some kind of narrative pressure and like relationship pressure on what's happening
2: well and okay yeah no go on Sorry, i was gonna say well let's talk about it because what we get is we get them alone in a room and it seems like that could be the end of the story. They could somehow figure out their relationship and have you know, some sort of physical interaction that could be the end of the story.
1: Now, but Tori, you're right, I, I want to stop now you right we're getting
2: right there. A, a build up to something different. Yeah, go on. Because No, no, do
0: you remember the Kirk Spock fanfic we read
2: mm-hmm. way back when? Um, Indeed I do.
0: Well, what was the title of that? That was This Deadly Innocence. Yes. And our, I, I seem to remember as kind of complaining there that it was just Kirk and Spock sitting sitting in a room Kirk and Spock, Kirk and Spock sitting in a room working out the relationship issues and there wasn't any other kind of no, major I, stuff going on
2: I agree, I'm not um, saying that the author should have done that I'm just saying like, they, they they could have, have. <laughs> They could have But instead they're, they're bringing, my main point is that they, they start to bring in a different plot line and I, I actually, and I think you're right, I think it's wise because they needed a plot. Otherwise, the story, my main point was otherwise the story would have just ended there and it wouldn't have been much of a story. Yeah. Right? I don't know. That's what I think.
0: I think despite the existence of the two kind of tracks of story going on here, it works well weaving them together and at least in terms of it being interesting reading. Uh, I would be more interested in this story as it is than I would have been in either half of the story. Mm. Um. To summarize, agree with that. To summarize the, the mystery thing, basically people start getting s- sick on the ship. And it takes a little bit for them to figure it out. They only kind of figure it out on the ship because Elijah calls the captain and like starts putting some pieces together about reports of people
2: wanting to turn what turn down the temperature. And uh, turn, sort of they kept turning up the temperature. It was extremely turn. hot in Elijah's room. Oh, okay. And then he also got sent hot food, like soup because everyone gets, like, the same food, and he was like, what the heck? He was, like, very miserable. Because other passengers have been requesting it to be warmer because they're right. feeling chilled.
1: They're right. chills, exactly. And he
0: has to actually check in and be like, are you aware of the symptoms of the common flu?
2: And they're not. He doesn't. Know, yeah, the captain doesn't know what a fever is, but I, I'm still confused as to how Bailey figured out that everyone had a fever just because the temperature was going up, but I guess that's his whole well, thing. Well, he's a detective. So. So right, yeah. I know. It's, yeah. it's his thing
1: and he's actually starts asking questions at the very beginning of the mm-hmm. steward robot who's delivering the food. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because he doesn't he's suspicious of the Aurorans because of all the politics that are going on on their planet. He's been told to be right. suspicious that yes. like
0: people might have it out for him to sabotage some kind of the politics between Earth and the spacer worlds or whatever. So the reaction of the captain once it becomes clear that people are getting sick and we're not even talking about like keeling over dying sick. We just mean, you know, flu symptoms sick. The reaction is to call Elijah up to the bridge and say, like, hey, can you come up and help us with something? And Elijah thinks that's very weird for them to ask him to leave his room, but he's like, okay, he and Daniel go up. And basically they try to very politely usher him into an escape pod to jettison him off the ship.
2: I thought they were (laughs) going to kill him at first. Like, it was very threatening. It's very ominous at first. Um, But he clearly doesn't want to go. I did like, though, that they set up Ahead of time with the sanitizing spray at the beginning Mm -hmm. that there was a lot of phobia of him in particular because they even established clearly at the beginning of the story that he's not coming from Earth. There's no reason he needs to be sanitized, but because he's an Earth guy, they're going to do it and they're suspicious. So then when the suspicion comes back later, you're like, okay, we see what's happening here.
0: And the captain's explanation is the passengers are frightened. They insisted something be done. He's really just a scapegoat. I mean, okay, all the spacers also believe that he did bring the disease onto the ship. Jettisoning him off the ship now doesn't seem like it'll necessarily help, but, you know.
1: Right, there's no logic to it. No. no because they're because, already sick.
2: Yeah, and he even offers to help. He's like, I know about this. And you didn't even know what a fever was. Like, I can actually help you. Figure it out. I'm a detective, and I know about these things. But no. Nope. They're like, here's how you can help. Get off. <laughs>
0: Now there is the fact that he's not being like sent into space to die. It is an escape pod that's going to go to a, you know, the, the closest like space station. The closest space station or whatever. And so the captain, quote, you know, turned his puzzled eyes on Daniel. The pod is fully equipped and powered. This really will not harm him. And Daniel says, "You know little of him or what may bring him harm." Respectfully but determinedly. Daniel's insisting to go with Elijah here. Well, Daniil
1: is also aware of his agoraphobia.
0: Right, of Uh of your big open spaces, right? right? Being out on the surface of a planet is bad enough. Yeah. And so the captain ends up giving Daniil the command, like, no, you stay here. We're not jettisoning you off of this. You're an extremely valuable robot, and you're here on the ship, and you're going to stay here on the ship. And Daniil, although it almost shuts down his brain, insists on going with Elijah. And I don't think they describe it in these terms explicitly, but it clearly is in, ter- in positronic brain terms because he knows Elijah so well that he knows personally that, yeah, he's going to be in extreme psychological distress in this situation uh, of being out in the middle of space in that tiny pod.
1: And also, uh, Elijah Bailey is his friend.
0: Yeah, his friend, right. his partner. Yeah. The, word, the word love was deployed in Robots of Dawn for their relationship. Yeah. Yes. Um,
2: now, Um, yeah, this part may have been lost on me from not, you know, remembering much about those books and those stories in particular, but like, um, so what is Bailey's fear of, of being, is it being in the pot or is it being out in space? The
0: deal is that on earth they live in enormous dome cities and they never see the sun. Okay. So, being out in the
1: open is his fear. Is more... The pod is going to bother him as much as being out in outer space.
2: I see. It was right. that was the only part that confused me because yeah. I was like, but you're still in like a tiny like being outer space is a... I guess I get it. What probably
1: sure. assumes are windows. I well, mean, yeah. probably most people on those pods would want to see on the outside. Of yeah. course. Would think.
0: Yeah. But what happens here is that they're out in the pod and they're they're doing pretty okay. They have rations there that, you know, spacers think is really terrible food but is perfectly fine with Elijah because it's like the earth rations he normally eats. They're doing pretty okay Mm. once they get ejected until he looks out the window. Oh, right, and then he has a massive panic attack. Yeah, he has this enormous panic attack. And,
1: um... That leads to his moments of intimacy.
0: Right. Well, first Daniil brings him down with, like, the physical support. And that's straight, you know... It seems like straight developing from the text of Robots of Dawn, where like he's he expresses that mm-hmm. that wish for like physical support from Daniil, and like he gets that, and then it also leads into further discussion of of robot sex. He kind of like this there's, is a very strange. there's a scene
2: that's a little bit, I mean, unclear. I don't know if I want it to be more graphic, but like I'm not. I think it was pretty clear. Is if you're thinking of what I'm thinking of? Yeah, yeah. The like basically. He's having a panic attack, he kind of collapses to the floor, and Daniil, in order to provide him, like, comfort and stability, kind of lays on top of him, or next to him. He's at least, he's holding him, essentially. And because of, it seems like because of Bailey's, like, sheer panic, and all of his pent-up sexual frustration with, like... uh, Wanting Daniil and denying that to himself essentially he kind of like he starts to caress him I think either their face or the chest. I am looking specifically doesn't really matter, but it just then becomes him basically like very quickly like Humping to leg and orgasming because that's not, that's he's right. he had probably hasn't had sex in a really long time This has been building up for him, and he's in a state of extreme panic did, did he So ask- I feel like it's not that weird but it definitely reads really weird, and then of course he's very embarrassed. He's like, "I'm, I'm sorry. I'm so, I'm so sorry." Like he's very embarrassed. And Daniil so. isn't
1: embarrassed at all. Of course you know, not. He says, "What are you embarrassed about?"
2: And I think one of the
0: strengths of this movie, what we talked about, it feeling very Asimovian in some cases, and I like, I think, I think he got like the voice of Elijah and Daniel down really well. Mm-hmm. But also the conversation that comes out of this, like the philosophical conversation about robots and consent and like all this kind of thing. It felt very admirable. Just for for a couple of characters to sit down and start hashing out some philosophical issues related to the existence of, you know, extremely intelligent robots.
2: Now, this was great, too, because he basically said, like, there's this thing going on where um, having sex with a robot is considered masturbation. Right. But that's not how Bailey takes it. He's like, I don't know if you have the ability to consent, and I don't want to take advantage of you. Like, that was the crazy part to me. I was like, wow, that's... Guy's a really, like, decent person. Like, an av- averagely decent person. Come on. Uh, like, he's cheating on totally his wife a couple times.
0: Yeah. did he also just have, like, <laughs> did have a short affair with Daniil's brother's widow in Robots of Dawn? Isn't that referenced in this? I think yeah. it was in
1: the previous book.
0: Yeah, in the previous book, Rob- Robots of Dawn. No, the
1: one before Robots of Dawn. Oh, I don't I'm think sure. he
0: came into contact with any spacers in the Caves of Steel. No. I'm uh, sorry, sorry, sorry in, in The Naked
1: Sun. In The Naked Sun, he has... A relationship
2: it's just it's just funny though cuz like it's more than I would expect from fiction like this from a person who was like in my life I would expect at least as much you know understanding consent but I guess you just don't see like real conversations about consent as often I, I appreciated that
1: Bailey has a relationship with Claudia Del Mar in oh. uh, the naked sun. Oh, that's I in think the naked sun. he just sun. spends one night with her. Okay. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's a very, just a fling.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: So. Anyway, average sexual ethics. But yes, this conversation yeah. is very good.
2: It's good. Yeah. It just it seems like something that the world hasn't really brought, wouldn't necessarily bring to us in another context per se. I don't know if Asimov has addressed that before, actually. It seems like there's an implication. I mean, I vaguely remember the whole, like, having sex with a robot is masturbation thing from the source. Is that from the source? Well, it, it, yeah,
0: it, that's. I think that comes up in Robots of Dawn, like we were saying, because yeah. all these all these issues are raised, but not with Elijah, and I don't think in these conversational terms. Mm-hmm. What Daniel talks him around by saying, like, look, you consider me your friend, and, like, you trust me, and, like, you have these, you know... You, you describe yourself as having this relationship of friendship and love with me, and do you really think that I don't have a consciousness that is participating in that friendship, in that relationship?
1: Right, and there's a discussion about robot emotions. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's called that, but...
0: Yeah, basically, right, where,
2: yeah.
0: where Daniel's saying, look, clearly I don't experience emotions the same way you do with all of these, like, um, you know, whatever hormones are being pumped into your biological body, but... I think we can draw parallels in ways that I feel in ways that you feel. And that seems reasonable to Daniil.
2: Yeah. There's, um, there's a good part in this, in this philosophical conversation that I'd like to read. It sh- follows shortly on the, it's masturbation thing. Um, but then, you know, Bailey's like, well, um, but it's not free will if you have to do with hu- what a human tells you. Um, To this, Daniil said politely, I would reply, what action and which human? All right, he had him there. Daniil had certainly shown an increasing variance in his behavior, not in line with simple ideas of obedience, to a startling extent recently. And he had certainly disagreed and even argued, courteously, with Bailey during their work together when he felt it important. Like right now, Bailey thought grumpily, but you're programmed. Mm -hmm. As you yourself said, partner Elijah, there are all kinds of programming. Mm -hmm. And that's come back again because there's been mention of, like, Elijah's, like, oh... My brain doesn't work like yours. It's not programmed. And Daniel's been like, eh, I don't know about that. He's been very subtle about it, but it's like very clear that he's saying that human brains are also programmed. At least <laughs> and that's right. It's, we it, are it's hard, true. Hardwired. Of course, it is yeah. true. Like it's just so funny that that would even be a question.
0: I, I think Daniel knows Elijah well enough to know that that would probably not go over well as
2: an mm-hmm. no argument.
0: If he if he was pushing it too hard.
2: Good point. <laughs> and then that just points to the subtlety of the writing here because it works well, right? Their relationship yeah. is... Neal convinces him in a way that works for Elijah, even if that's not the way that the reader necessarily sees it. It's the, re, the rationale that Bailey wants to hear.
0: And then they have some, uh, you know, some other amount of consensual sexual contact, but we, we get a black curtain on that. And the end of the fanfic is basically, back like you said, to the main plot, not the main plot, to the mystery plot. I I feel like the main plot is the relationship. Back to the mystery plot where Elijah gets to kind of armchair detective figure out what happened on the ship that people started getting sick. Yeah, even though he's no
1: longer on the ship. Right. So he just, he figures it out. He solves the mystery.
2: And, I mean. It happened very quickly, but it was also kind of really gratifying because of all the buildup of, like, the prejudice against him. You just wanted to see that be like, bang, I got you.
0: And, it, and he did. And it works as a solution because it's about the prejudice about him. That, in summary, someone else planted the disease on the ship Yes. in order to increase anti-Earthling sentiment among spacers. That, like, even this, this guy who's been lauded as a hero is just with his presence making people sick. And it's just
2: supposed to sabotage that Earth-spacer relationship. Yeah. And Bailey gets to draw this all out for the captain and the chairman and be a hero. Good job, Bailey. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: They get back to Earth. That pretty much wraps a bow on it.
1: Do they get back to Earth at the end of the story? Uh,
0: Well, they're going to get disinfected. I think they're still in the pod. Oh, never mind. Yeah, they are. They're going to get disinfected again and again. (laughs) (laughs) There's also a bit of discussion that leads into the Foundation universe, which, which Asimov is already doing, like Robots of Dawn, about the idea that Earth is going to start sending out more colonies again and expanding again. And it's kind of some discussion about whether Elijah is going to go, um, might think about going and colonizing and leaving mm-hmm. Earth. Yeah. But that's that's not really, nothing comes of it in this fanfic. It's kind of like some hints of the future direction of the continuity.
2: Yeah. Well, they, the ending is mostly about they get returned to the same ship to get disinfected again. So it's about returning to the beginning. Mm. And this time though, we end with some flirtation between Daniil and Bailey because of what's happened between them. And the very last line is Bailey broke out laughing and put his arm around Daniel's shoulders and they left the room side by side. So you really get that kind of closure of like, Bailey is happy, he's laughing, and they are side by side, they're equals. And they're touching each other because they finally achieved the intimacy that they've been striving towards through this whole thing. So it is a good ending, I it's, think, it's to all It's all a up. good
1: ending also, as far as I remember. Robots of Dawn is the last book that Elijah Bailey uh, appears in. I
0: think that's right. Uh,
1: after that, um, we see a, a, a lot more of Daniil mm-hmm. in, the, in the later Foundation and robot books that are written Well, you see later. a little
0: bit of him in Foundation. What is it? Foundation's End? Foundation's Edge? I don't know. Like, Foundations like, and Earth. W- w- all,
1: where, all the rest of those books, well, Daniel plays a role.
0: You only see a little bit of him at the end of the main Foundation series, right? Where it's like, oh, he was behind a whole Everything, lot of things. yes. But then aren't there prequels? Like they are the, prequels. After that, well goes back. That's right. And then he's involved in those books. Yes, okay. correct. I don't think I ever actually read those ones. Oh, I did,
1: yes. <laughs> hmm. And he he disguises himself as other characters.
2: Hmm. Do you think, um, having read those, do you think like where this fanfic takes place? Um, since Daniel's character especially continues on, if this fits in the continuity for the characters mainly, um, it's hard to say because in the
1: later books, he's behind all of these historical events Mm. that transpire within uh, within the empire but I see. in terms of uh his personal uh character development i don't think there's it it doesn't go very deep and mm. certainly there wouldn't be anything in terms of his sexuality there's no reference to that at all
0: so it fits in fine with no
1: conflict yeah. There's no and conflict. There's yes. no conflict. And, and I think
0: your point is yeah. well taken that it's a nice little bow. The implication that maybe Elijah might go out into space because he's had all this exposure, like he's he's his agoraphobia is better mm-hmm. than it used to be after some experience on other planets, like that's at least a little bit of a nod to him, his story going on a little bit or, you know. Right. Kind of like a farewell to him as a character a little bit yeah. if you read the story that
2: way. Actually, that helps me read the story a little bit better because really not very much has happened to him in the context of things that have happened to him when you get to the end of this. But he's made a complete character shift where he's like, oh, if I stay on Earth, I'll get promoted. Give me a piece of open ground and a colony to build, I guess. And Neil's like, you're surprising me. And he's like, I'm full of surprises. And you're like, what? This does not sound like him. So, But if you take it as his culminating experiences have led him to a place of closure and moving forward. Then I think that's a very, is a very positive ending for the character. Hmm.
0: Now here's about where we close out the show, but first by asking whether there's anything in this story that you think didn't work or that you want to complain about, especially that we haven't touched on yet. It's it's a little bit hard. The writing's pretty strong. Um, Yeah, it is. I guess, does it actually, does it it bother you that the sex was unnecessary, like as a reader?
1: It didn't bother me at all, but I did, just as an experiment, read the story again today Uh and just remove the sex scene, and it still works just fine. (laughs) So that's why I'm wondering, you know, whether if this writer had had an editor, whether it might have been more um, more unified.
0: I also wonder what the original request was that they were responding to as part of Tide, because I don't have that information. I'd be interested yeah. to know. Like, whether there was a specific request for that or not.
2: I... You know, like, piggybacking on what Joel was saying, like, I... I mean, you're right. Like, that scene... Is not necessarily the plot but it also feels like what the author wanted to create like that's what they really wanted to do was bring them together so it's interesting to me that they didn't spend a little bit more time on the development of that relationship and I'm wondering specifically if that had to do with the fact that it was so difficult to like stick the pin into Asimov's writing and kind of pry open a relationship out of that. If something that was more intimate would have felt a lot more forced, considering the lack of intimacy be like, the only, like, bare suggestions of intimacy between I mean, them in the source, you know what I mean?
0: It's pretty decently developed in Robots of Dawn apparently, or over the course of the books, but... But, yeah, yeah. I, see, I see what you're saying. It's like you want to go further than it was there already, right?
2: Right. I mean, I see this a lot in especially like male authors writing romance and you know, especially if that come, I mean, and I'm not talking about the fan fiction author. I'm talking about Asimov. I don't know the fan fiction author's gender. Um, Like writing romance and writing intimacy, whether that's between friends or not, it's very, a lot of times it can be very forced. A lot of times it seems like there's something hinted at that's just on the very edges. And, even if that's heterosexual romance. So I think it's sometimes hard to derive from, I don't know, I would definitely say, like, men writing science fiction of a certain age. It's hard to derive any sort of emotionally intimate relationships out of that. You kind of have to work for that. I don't know if that makes sense. but. Yeah, yeah you're
0: kind of talking about, like, the hard science
2: fiction type yes, writers. Who are yes, not, basically. not writing it for the character
0: relationship developments.
2: Yeah, <laughs> if they do have relationships, it's like... You know, it's like, do androids dream of electric sheep kind of, like, awful romance <laughs> that is literally sexual assault kind of thing. Asimov actually does better than that in a certain sense, which is... Anyway.
0: <laughs> well, very minor complaints that we had to search for aside. Anything we want to praise about the fanfic on the way out?
2: The writing was excellent.
0: Yeah, and I think the voices of the main characters are very good. It brought me back to the Elijah Bailey and Daniel Oliva books. Um, I think the length is good. It it doesn't overstay its welcome, but it's also not like too perfunctory. It's kind of, what's 15,000 words? Is that like novella? Long short story? Is that just a normal short story? Wait, you say
2: 15,000? 15, 15,000. That's a short story. It's just a short story. Yeah, so yeah it's,
0: it's a short story. It's a short story length, and it, it does well, I think, with that length and shape.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think it does well as an Asimov sci-fi mystery
0: yeah uh, mm-hmm. i think that was de-emphasized a little bit like i remember in normal asimov sci-fi mysteries the climax of the mystery being a little bit more i don't know there being some element of danger or action or you know tenseness and there's no physical danger to them at any point in the fanfic right
2: but there's emotional intellectual danger especially the emotional danger to Bailey, when he's ejected into space, seems very much like it could be physical danger. Oh, well, like, that, guess so that's a really good moment, for him, right? I just mean, I don't know. Maybe the mysteries
0: hmm. are kind of usually solved by like Elijah just sitting down and explaining what happened. I guess maybe that is how they usually go.
2: I feel like it rubbed like Osmo <laughs> to me, but I I hear what you're saying.
0: I might just be misremembering, but yeah, it, I was very pleased that in addition to this being Elijah Daniel slash that there was a robot a mystery involving a robot and, you know, all that kind of thing worked into it as well.
2: And, you know, what else would there be? Right. Yeah. (laughs) I really appreciated that, despite the fact that there is an extremely uncomfortable sex scene where there's premature ejaculation and, like, this weird iffiness on, like, what's going on between them, I didn't feel like reading this made me feel uncomfortable. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the characters were so clearly on the same page with one another and in a yeah, certain they've got a sense. they've a strong relationship like, already. They have a strong relationship. So you don't fear that anything between them isn't going to work out. It doesn't feel like a teenage romantic drama. It feels like a lot of the tension comes from Bailey's insecurities mostly. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's the most compelling thing about the story is seeing a character try to work through their own insecurities to come to a partner that actually has consistently always been loving of them. Like, you have no question that Daniil is going to love and support Bailey. So Mm -hmm. good odyssey for that character, I think.
0: Well, thanks very much for coming on and talking about the fanfic, Dad. You're welcome. Next week, Dom is still out of town, and we're going to have to fill that hole somehow. But we're not going very far. We're just going to have CJ on again. It's our go-to. Excellent. (laughs) We love CJ. Next week we're doing The Jewel of Brandy Hall, uh, which is a Lord of the Rings fanfic, post-series or possibly post-movies. I guess we'll find out. Uh, You can find a link to that at bit.ly slash rfrjewel. And in addition to being the return of the return of CJ as a guest, it's the return of Fernwithy. It's going to be our first time reading a fanfic by an author who we already read a fanfic by.
2: And we already read the author with CJ, so... That's true. Beautiful.
0: That's why I invited her on for it. As for this, um, this was episode 35 of Retro Fanfic Retrospective, Sifi by Dorinda. You can find a link to that at bit.ly slash rfrcfe. The intro song to the podcast is The Weekly Fair off of the album Popey's Incredible Adventure by Komiku. The outro song is Run Against the Universe from the same album. You can find that album and other works by Komiku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. You can find our website at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com or bit.ly retrofanfic. If you have questions, comments, or thoughts about the episode, please contact us on Twitter at retrofanfic or send us an email at retrofanficretrospective at gmail.com, or if possible, leave comments or reviews on Apple Podcasts or Podbean or whatever it is that you use. I'm Amato.
2: I'm Tori. I'm Joel.
0: We're just three Earth life forms trying to be nice to each other. Until next time, take care.
2: So this is, waiting for Amato and Joel to get here. So this is Tori's test mic. I can already tell that I need to turn myself up. I'm going to start with the level. I am microphone number one. Turning me up, turning me up, turning me up. Because I think this is pretty much how I talk. I'm still turning me up because it's still not getting there. Still not getting there. Let's try the gain a little bit. A little bit of gain on that. Oh, heck yeah. Heck yeah. That seems about right. What did we say? Negative 18 to negative 6 or something? I'm going to double check that. Yes, I was right. Okay. Always green, sometimes yellow. I'm talking into the mic, and I think this is actually perfect for me, though I can't tell if I might start talking more quiet. But as long as I'm facing the mic, I think we are good. Good job, Tori. Okay.